Well, Pastor Otis, I, I, I'll do my best to make sure the cops don't show up, okay? No, no, here's the deal. Um, we had a great service at 8 o'clock, okay? And I thought, oh, we're going to be safe, right? And then I walk in here and see 7,000 people gathered. And I'm like, somewhere Dr. Fauci is really angry with you people, all right? I'm just, I'm just saying. But, but it's all good. It's all good because Jesus is quite pleased with you, Okay. Calvary, it is so good to be with you. It is always good to be with you. I, I told the first service, I, I'm like, uh, can we just show some appreciation to the worship team that just led us into the presence of God? <laughs> Quite talented. I, I've never been to heaven, but I think this is what it feels like and sounds like when I'm at Calvary Church. And so, I, listen, I just, I, I just I praise the Lord for you, and I'm just in awe of what the Lord has done since the last time I was with Pastor Otis and you guys. I'm just blown away. In fact, Pastor Otis, we, we were talking on the phone late last year about the time the book was come out. We talked a couple months ago and then just a week or so ago, just kind of ironing out the details for this morning. And in those conversations, he mentioned the new property and Carl got me straightened out. I thought it was on this side of Croft. It's across 486 on the major highway. Like, wow, like what the Lord has planned to do through you for his glory is outstanding. And so let me just say one thing really quickly that does not have anything to do with the message, okay? He said, Pastor Otis has said, the Lord's called you guys to plant a, 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 move the church there and all these other things and, and plant a school. Church, get on that. Like yesterday, okay, we have a, a school that meets on our church campus, and like there's, I don't know if there's an American student in that school. They're all refugees, like from Africa, or the places in Africa where the guys with AK-47s come kicking in the front door, and mom and the kids go running out the back door. They hop a flight to Paris, hop a flight to New York, and find a way into Tampa, and boom, they're in school, not only being taught about algebra, but about the love of Jesus. So church, get on that. We are sharing truth, okay? So yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, really quick, let me just share just about your younger sister church, the Root Church. Um, in spite of their pastor, um, the Lord is blessing them. Um, people are being told about Jesus. The community is being served. Lives are being changed. Um, and in fact, I get to just share this really quickly. Next Sunday morning, September 4th, we're a Saturday night church. No, we're not Seventh-day Adventists. Um, this, most pastors want to use their sanctuaries on Sunday morning, so we're a Saturday night church. Um, so next Sunday morning, we're going to be heading over to St. John's Pass at the, um, at the Gulf of Mexico, and we're going to be baptizing five, maybe six people who have just recently put their faith in Christ. And so, yeah. Really cool. And most of, whether five or six, one of the young men's out of New Jersey, um, a teenager, but these other five, um, they're coming out of addiction, alcoholism, drugs, all of the above. And so John, uh, the guy who leads our Sober Living America campaign, uh, we all call him Iggy. Um, Iggy says, Pastor, there might be a sixth one. Is that okay? I'm like, let me pray about it. Yes. Um, it's a big gulf. We will baptize in the name of Jesus till we run out of water. Amen. So it's just going to be a great thing. So thank you for your prayers, church, for us. In this work in 33612 is what we call it. Um, it's right there next to the university. Um, there's lots of crime, lots of brokenness, lots of disease, lots of just everything that's um, the worst parts of the book of Revelation is what we are experiencing and where we are ministering. And so just be praying for us. That's what we covet the most is your prayers for our ministry. So Church, I didn't come to tell you about the root church. I came this morning to tell you about Jesus, and very specific, the real Jesus, okay? Because that's what we need. We need the real Jesus, um, because there's a lot of fakes in life. For example, a lady by the name of Glafira Rosales. Now, Glafira Rosales, in 1995 was the first time she walks into the Needler Art Gallery in New York City, and she's carrying this 
painting that she says was painted by the expressionist Mark Rothko. Um, it's just a world-renowned painter if you're into that, and it's worth a large sum of money. And she tells the art gallery um, leadership there, she says, listen, I'm helping uh, Mr. X down in Mexico City liquidate his prestigious art collection. And so if you like this one and you treat me right, she says, there'll be a treasure trove to share with. You'll make a lot of money and I'll make a lot of money and it's all good. And so for the next 15 years... All the way to the fall of 2000, she would walk into the Needle Art Gallery and walk out with lots of cash. $81 million to be exact. Of course, as you might suspect, all of these paintings were complete fakes. They were counterfeits. They weren't painted by the greatest expressionists or the greatest artists around the globe, not the artistic elite. No, they were made by a Chinese immigrant out of his apartment in Manhattan named Patien Quain. And he would take it and he would paint it because he was really good at impersonating and twisting and presenting. And he would take it, the painting after he had it done, he would take tea grounds or dust out of his vacuum cleaner and age the paintings to make them more presentable. And so there was this big racket and this huge bust. And in the whole aftermath of the thing, let me tell you how it shook out. A lot of names of of artists were defamed because that's not their work. And then people were cheated out of their money. And finally, uh, the Needler Art Gallery, which had been in business for about 160, 70 years in New York City, went bankrupt. Listen to me, church. Everybody suffers when counterfeits come into play. Okay? Everybody suffers when fakes rule the day. 2,000 years ago, there was an old preacher. And he looked out over the spiritual landscape of his day. Right? And here's what he saw. He saw false messiah after fake messiah after false messiah and plenty of false prophets and preachers ready to peddle those false messiahs. And it ticked him off. It ground in his gears. And he says, we've got to do something about this. And so this old man, this old preacher, he grabbed a pen and a piece of paper and he started writing. That man's name was John. Now I know um, he, this letter that he wrote is going to come through church history as 1 John is going to echo through all of eternity as the Word of God. As you grab your Bibles and flip over to 1 John, meet me there. We could be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word, but hope you do because you might want to underline something here in these first few verses. Let me just tell you about which John we're talking about because it's kind of like, you know, hypothetically speaking, if your name is David Smith, all right? There's a lot of Johns in the New Testament, all right? We're like Peter's father, the fisherman. Peter, his dad's name was John. We're not talking about that John. You know, Matthew Mark, the guy who wrote the gospel, his first name was John. John Mark, right? We're not talking about that John. We're not even talking about that electric personality, John the Baptist, okay? No, we're talking about John, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, the son of thunder, the disciple whom Jesus loved, now, that's an impressive business card, is it not? I mean, like, like how, how do you get one of those, right? This is the John that we're talking about. And he met Jesus on a seashore 2,000 years ago. And Jesus says something to him that's so compelling, so captivating, that this dude lays down the nets of his father's business and follows Jesus off that seashore. And he walked traipsing across all of Israel for a number of years, following Jesus, and he saw it all. He saw things that Matthew didn't see. He saw things that Bartholomew didn't see. He saw things that Mary or the other Mary 
or, or the other other Mary didn't see, okay? He saw it all. He witnessed it all. He was there. He was present. He saw it with his own eyes. But he saw that Jesus was a promise keeper and a truth teller, that he was going to give his life, but that he would take it back up again. John witnessed that, and it changed him. But that was, that was a long time ago. See, that was young John. That was spry John. That was, I outran Peter to the tomb, John, okay? No, no, now, now John, he's not even called John anymore. Now, in fact, everybody, out of respect, out of respect, it's not a term of derision, out of respect, they call him simply the elder. And here's the deal. John's totally fine with that. In fact, turn two pages over in your Bible from where you are, the opening line of 2 John and the opening line of 3 John, he in his own hand, he writes, the elder. This is who's talking to you, the elder. In fact, John is so old at this point. He, he really doesn't do much itinerant ministry on his own anymore. He has to be contacted by a church and brought over very carefully, so aged and so old and so elderly that they walk him and they gently carry him through and they assemble the church and they you know, announce that the elder's coming and they bring the body and the city together. They bring him in the door. They walk him up and they sit him on this stool and they don't stand too far back in case he falls off. They just sit him on the stool and John the elder starts to preach. And this is his sermon, according to church history. Little children, love one another. And that's it. That was the whole sermon. That was the whole sermon. I know some of y'all have heard me preach before. And you're like, you're thinking right now, well, not Pastor David. If Johnny Boy can get it done in one line, maybe you should shorten your sermons down a little bit. I'm just going to remind all of y'all, I walked myself in that door, thank you very much. When you carry me in, you can dictate how long my sermons are, okay? Until Pastor Otis comes in on the walker with the tennis balls on the bottom, okay? Let the man go, okay? Let him go, all right? So, listen, true story from church history. One of the guys, one of the younger deacons in the church, we think, says to him one time, he's like, bro, we go to all this trouble. Like, I'm not complaining, but I'm kind of complaining because, you know, Christians will complain about everything. We'll complain about the shortness of a sermon. We'll complain about the length of a sermon. We will complain if you hang us with a new rope, is what my dad would say, right? And so he says, you know, John, I get it. What, we go to all this trouble. We go to all this trouble, set you up, bring you, and take care of you. And you just, you just say one line, little children, love one another. He says, why, why don't you say more? Why don't you do more? Why don't you speak more over us? And he goes, very simple. Because if that's what they do, that's enough. Now, John's sermons might have been one sentence, but his letters are not, okay? And as he took pen and as he took paper, he was combating two major problems in his day. I'll go over them really quickly before we get to it. The first one is persecution. When I tell you that your foremothers and your forefathers were hunted for their faith in Jesus. I mean that in the most literal sense, okay? We had two groups that were against us. First, the Jews. They, they ostracized us because they realized finally that, wait a second, we don't actually think the same thing about Jesus. They think that we fooled. We have been fooled. We've been tricked that we follow a false Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth. And that is still the prevailing view, sadly, of the Jewish race today, okay? But there was another group that was wielding violence, not that the Jews couldn't be violent, but the Romans were really good at it, 
right? I mean, they had a king. They had a Caesar. And he liked to call himself the king of kings because you know, he was the boss of other kings. One day he's going to meet the king of every king, okay? It's going to be a different story. But this guy would sit in Rome and he would persecute. And he would, he, the church, they knew that he was nothing but a chump, but this chump did have an army. I mean, compared to Jesus, he's just a chump. But he would wield political power. He would take your children. He'd take your home. He'd take your business. If push comes to shove, he was totally fine taking your life. In fact, you've probably heard of the Emperor Nero. He was the one who was in charge of the known world at the time that Peter and Paul were killed for their faith. He would um, throw Christians to gladiatorial events and let them be butchered on the sands in front of thousands of views. One of his most despicable ways that he would raise the bar or lower the bar is he would take our brothers and sisters in faith, dip them in oil, and put them in iron cages hanging over his courtyards and over his gardens and light them on fire to illuminate his palace. As terrible as the persecution was, that wasn't the problem that kept John up at night. It was the second one. It was what I'm going to call heresy. Or just that's a fancy church word of just means false teaching, false doctrine. You know, it's, it's heresy. It is not the truth of God's word, okay? And, and there were lots of different heretics running around, false prophets, false messiahs, false preachers doing their thing. But the big one that John had to combat in the closing pages here of the New Testament was the group known as the Gnostics, okay? That word begins with a G, Gnostics. And we translate, it's just a Greek word that just translates into knowledge. But what it really should translate into is knuckleheads, okay? Because these guys are goofballs, all right? Now, there were lots of even different kinds of flavors, shapes, and sizes of the Gnostics. But they all basically had two things in common. First, because everything, knowledge, right? Everything that they taught began with this, that salvation well, it's this mystical, special, individual knowledge that some people have and some people don't. So stick with me. You just stay up under my thumb. I'll take care of you. And so they would lord their teaching over the people, including sometimes the churches who would get sideways with these guys. The second thing, I'm going to ask you to go back to sixth grade science class here, okay? This is going to sound weird for a second, but stay with me because this is the crux of the issue. The second tenet that they taught was this, is that all matter is evil. 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 The wristwatch you're wearing, the iPhone that you're holding, the car out in the parking lot. Matter, 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 evil, evil, evil. Got it? Well, then somebody goes, well, wait a second. Now, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on, Mr. Gnostics. I've got a profound question for you. Um, is that right there, is that matter? Well, yeah, it, then it's evil. What about my hair? Yes, it's gray and it's evil. What about my muscles and my lindens, uh, my tendons and my ligaments? Yes, matter, 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 evil, evil, evil. Hmm, you know, there was this guy one time from Galilee. He had hair and bone and muscle. His name was Jesus. Was he evil? Time out, time out. We got to call a huddle here, boys. And so they all gathered together and said, We got ourselves into a pickle here, okay? We're going around teaching that Jesus is evil. Nobody's going to buy that. Nobody's going to wear that t shirt. 
How are we going to rescue? How are we going to rescue our doctrine? And so they got together and they came up with something that is either genius or ludicrous. I'll let your soul decide. This is what they said. They said, we got it. We got it. Here we go. You see, Pastor Otis, Jesus wasn't really real. He looked real. He looked real, okay? But he didn't really eat food. He didn't really drink that wine. He didn't really have flesh and bone and matter because that would have been evil. What Jesus was, you see, is he was, he was a ghost. He was a spirit. He was an image, to borrow a, a, a phrase from Star Wars. He was a hologram, right? He's just this image. Okay, is anybody here seeing the problem with hologram Jesus? Bueller? Bueller? Come on now. You can't hang a ghost on a cross. You can't pierce an image. Blood doesn't flow from a ghost. And if the blood doesn't flow, where is the state of our salvation? What is the state of our souls? We remain unforgiven and separated from God for all of eternity. And so, these Gnostics are running around and they are confusing the church of Jesus Christ. They're, they're, they're going right for the jugular of salvation. So, oh, you want to talk about Jesus? You want to talk about salvation? Great. Yeah, but you need our Jesus. Wait, wait, wait. Dude, there's just one Jesus, okay? See, here's the thing I know about God. God is not the author of confusion. I read that somewhere, okay? And he doesn't want his body, his bride, to be under confusion on anything, but certainly our salvation and the source thereof, okay? And so when John starts to write, and we're going to get to it right now, when he picks up this pen and lays out this paper, he begins to write, and I'm telling you, it's an absolute body slam to these heretics. Listen to what the elder, under the perfect leadership and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Pause just real quick. The guy who wrote this wrote John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with, and the word was God. Okay, we're on the same page. Okay, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard. He repeats himself. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we are writing these things so that our joy, watch this, may be complete. Okay? And now that we've finally read the passage of scripture, this sermon can begin. Okay, here we go. So John, I want to just call your attention here to verses one and three, okay? Because John basically repeats himself. He goes, let me tell you about that which was from the beginning. Who's he talking about? Talking about Jesus, right? He says, we have heard him. We have seen him with our eyes. We have looked upon him and have touched him with our hands. That's a hand grenade to the Gnostics right there. But wait a second, wait a second, Jesus can't be, oh yeah, really, watch, I saw him, I saw, I was, I heard him, I was standing outside the tomb, and Jesus walked up, I heard him say, Lazarus, come forth, I saw the guy who was dead two seconds ago come waddling out in grave clothes, 
Okay? I saw him with my own eyes. I heard him teach. I heard him say one time that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father unless they come through and to him. John says, I have seen him. I have heard him. But he doesn't stop there. He goes, I have touched him. He saw Jesus die. Jesus was placed bodily in a borrowed tomb. He wasn't going to need it very long. And John saw, witnessed, touched, embraced Jesus with his hands. He held the pierced hands in his hands. You understand? That's the proof. You're not going to convince me of anything else, John's thinking. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. I left my fingerprints on him because he left his fingerprints on me. He has touched me. So don't come in here with this business about some invisible Jesus who can't hang on a cross and die and be uh, uh, spilled of his blood to forgive us of our sins. The truth is, he has done all of that. I tasted the wine that he turned from water. I, I, with my hands, that I used to fix nets. I went around with all Bartholomew and, and, and James and, and Judas, and we picked up all these leftovers from the day he fed those thousands upon thousands of people with a hunk of bread and a couple of fish. You're not going to convince me of anything less. And so as John is writing, what he's basically doing is here, he's blowing up the Gnostic Jesus. He's blowing up. He is putting on full exposure the fake Jesuses of his day. Can we just spend the last few moments of our time together just kind of exposing some fake Jesuses? Okay, because here's the deal. There's a lot of them out there. And there's a lot of, I'm going to just say, oh, stay with me here. Churches that serve him, okay? I'm just using the term church very loosely, all right? Let me, let me just introduce you to two or three of them. Pastor Otis has got one he's going to share with you at the end here, but let me just introduce you to the, to the, the most famous one of them all. He, he is by far the, the, the most well-known fake Jesus out there. I call him Checklist Jesus. Now, Checklist Jesus, this is what he says. He goes, you need to save yourself, You need to do a lot of good things. You need to not ever do any more bad things. You need to go to church every single Sunday night. Go to church on Wednesday night. Go to church on Sunday morning. You know, uh, tithe when you get there, okay? Get baptized. Memorize three Bible verses a day. King James Version preferred, okay? Walk a whole bunch of little ladies across the street. Come to complete stops and pay your taxes on time. And maybe, just maybe, you do all of that, get you into heaven. Like, okay, bro, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, I know that sounds very American, pull yourself up with the bootstraps, the whole thing. That is not how salvation works. That from, from cover to cover, Genesis to the maps in the back, that is not how salvation works, okay? Listen to me. I don't need another checklist in my life. I don't need another to-do list in my life, okay? Uh, pray, pray for me, honest. I don't need another to-do list. I got a wife, okay? I'm married. <laughs> That joke was funnier at the first service because she wasn't here. And now she is. And so I'm not going to make eye contact in this direction anymore. And I need you all to pray for me and somebody take me home with you tonight, okay? I am now looking for a place to sleep, okay? Now get bad. Okay, so here's the deal. I got two, at least two problems with checklist Jesus, Okay. At least two problems. Number one, I'm doing all the work. What I need this clown for if I'm doing all the work? I got to do this. I got to go there. I can't do that. I shouldn't do this. I need to do this three or four times. I'm doing all the heavy lifting. 
Number two, how do I know when I have done enough? That's a pretty big question. In other words, how good, Mr. Checklist Jesus, is good enough? I want to know. See, I sit on the, um, we, Jennifer and I would lead the campus ministry at USF for a, a season back um, in the late 2000s, early 2010, and they'd put me on this panel of religious speakers, and I'd have the imam there, the, the Jewish rabbi down there, the Catholic priest, the Baha'i guy, and all these other people, and, and the, the Muslim guy, I'm not making fun, we, we have Tampa Muslim outreach right here at our church um, every Wednesday night, um, but the, the man would say, you know, we, we just tell our, our Muslim brothers and sisters that you're walking through life with this backpack on your, on your back, and it's got heavy rocks. That's the burden of your sin. And what you need to do is across your life, you need to reach in and take out those, those rocks and lay them down. You need to unburden yourself. I'm like, dude, you're doing all the work. You're doing all the work. And how do you know when your backpack's light enough? Like, I, I got questions. I mean, see, I know how my salvation works. It was completely and perfectly worked out on a cross 2,000 years ago, and then in an empty tomb to prove it, all right? I'm just saying, I don't need checklist Jesus, okay? I don't need his cousin self-help Jesus or be a better person Jesus, you know, a distant cousin on his mama's side, okay? We don't need any of those because they will abandon you to the flames of hell because, listen to me, church, you cannot save yourself, okay? All right, let's talk about the second fake Jesus, Okay, I call him the health and wealth of Jesus. I didn't come up with that, obviously. This Jesus has been plaguing the church of Jesus Christ for decades, right? And you can always tell when you're about to hear about health and wealth of Jesus because the pastor's wearing a wristwatch that costs more than our SUVs, and he or she or they are on a G6 private jet flying in, okay? All right, that's how you can always know. But health and wealth, we say that, you know, this Jesus wants you to be wealthy and rich, and he never wants you to get cancer or COVID or even the sniffles, okay? Now, I want, to, I want to be clear, okay? It's not like God wants his people poor and diseased. I want to be very careful about saying that. But I don't know that I can tell you with all confidence that God wants his people rich. I can tell you with all confidence that God wants his people to be generous, okay? Okay, now we're tracking. All right, so here's the deal. My problem with the health and wealth of Jesus is every single person in this room, I don't know your bank account status, every single person in this room is richer than my Jesus when he walked upon this earth 2,000 years ago. Watch, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it. I'll give you the hard and fast numbers. Watch this. Raise your hand if you slept underneath a roof last night. Okay, you're automatically richer than Jesus. He said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay. So that's my first problem with it. My, my second problem is that whole health part. Um, have you seen what a Roman cross does to a person's health? It kind of upends it. Nobody gets out of that one alive, okay? It kind of impedes health. And I'm not really talking, in Jesus' case, about the, the, the spikes that it drove through his wrist or his, his feet. Mm -mm. I'm talking about the anguish of his soul that was brought on to his life because for the first time in all of history, all of eternity, he was separated from God the Father because of your sin and my sin and his sin, her sin, their sin. That's the anguish that Jesus faced, the real Jesus faced. So don't come at me with this health and wealth Jesus. He's a charlatan and he will abandon you. He is misleading you, church. Return to your first love. That's what Pastor Otis said to me just before I came. Return to your first love, church. Remember where you have come from. All right, let's just do one more fake Jesus. And I don't know, okay, I said it this way at the first service. I don't know if y'all know about this Jesus, okay? Because y'all, we're in the good old boyville up here in Citrus County, right? All right? This is like, this is, this is Citrus County. 
Okay? All right. Now, here's the deal. I, like, I love you. Listen, listen. If your name is Bubba, you're my people, okay? I was, I was raised on a farm in north central Florida, okay? I don't pronounce any words correctly, all right? But here's the deal. I minister in the prim and proper Tampa, Florida, the Tampa Bay area. And so down there, you know, we have all this sophistication. We have all these ideologies. And we have this guy who's running around all the churches called the social justice Jesus. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've heard. Popular? Designer faith? will keep you um, hepped up on the greatest and latest religious fad. He will point out all of the victims in your life and then condemn you because of your various personal privileges, right, of course. He will um, lower standards. He'll change definitions because we don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. He will accommodate any sexual preference because <laughs> who is this Jesus to judge? We will defend women's rights even though it costs the lives of 700,000 innocent babies every single year. Every single year. Last night, we talked about this at the Lord's Supper, that the strong defend the weak. Wake up, church. It's time. We've got to reject this Jesus. This social justice Jesus, he will keep you busy focusing on today and blinding you to eternity, even though it is racing at you at breakneck speed. 100% of you will face the real Jesus. Social justice Jesus is not going to be there to help you. All right, there are other Jesuses that we could talk about. There are other Jesuses that we could isolate. There's other Jesuses that we could expose. But for the sake of time, let's just kind of point ourselves in the right direction about how do we isolate? How do we see? How do we find and serve and follow the real Jesus? Okay, um, I want to start by saying this. Quit trying to adjust the real Jesus. We're trying to fix him. We're trying to make him more palatable to the culture. Okay? He has not been government-friendly since the beginning. You're not going to rescue his image. Jesus does not need a PR guy. Love you. Okay? What he's looking for are disciples. Okay? He's not broken. He doesn't need you to fix him. So quit trying to soften his edges. Let him speak and let him say what he wants to say and let him mean what he meant 2,000 years ago. Okay, church? Let's let it be. All right, because you cannot impersonate Jesus. You cannot improve upon Jesus. Just let him speak the truth. So, okay, there are lots of ways. I'm just going to give you two quickly. Uh, Places, ways that you can find, discover the real Jesus. And then consequently have real, life-changing, eternity-defining faith. Okay, the first is this. You can find the real Jesus in his teachings, okay? Now, I want to just say uh, this quick disclaimer. Pastor Otis will say more about it in a second. Um, we're going to talk about the book just a second here, and Pastor Otis is going to mention it. Um, here's the, go- the great and glorious thing. I didn't come to you this morning to sell books. I came to you to preach about the real Jesus, okay? But some, you'll get a book when you leave here, and Pastor Otis will tell you how that works and everything. Don't thank me for the book. Thank Jesus and thank Pastor Otis. That's how it works. The proceeds of this entire book have been donated to the Root Church and all that is raised throughout sales in Japan and and Indonesia and Russia and America are going to fund the outreach ministries of the Root Church of Tampa Bay. He's just trying to show the kindness of Jesus. And so I hope it's a blessing to you. The book is called Censoring Jesus. And basically what I try to do is just say, stop trying to monkey with the words of Jesus. Just let what he said reign in your life. But you think you can put it better than him, church? 
You, you, think, you, you, think, you think that there's a better offer? Man, I, I just remember, I remember this great story from the Chronicles of, of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, this famous devout atheist turned Christian. He tells a story about Jill when she comes into Narnia and she sees Aslan this big, powerful, mighty, ferocious-looking lion. And she's really thirsty, and the lion is laying down by the stream. And she goes to, like, to go get some water from the brook, and then she sees the lion, and she's taken back. She's aghast, and she, she kind of hides behind this rock. And, and the lion, of course, sees her because lion Aslan is C.S. Lewis's way of personifying Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And they get into this back and forth, and he says, aren't you thirsty? Oh, I'm very thirsty. Then come get some water. Well, you're a lion, and the little girl says, i got a question for you. Do you eat little girls? And the lion says, I've devoured whole kingdoms. Then she asks another question. Well, are you safe? Oh, I'm very dangerous, he says. And then she says this. Then I must go and find another stream. And Aslan says, there are no other streams. If you want truth... You drink here. If you want life, you drink here. You got to come to the lion of the tribe of Judah. As terrifying as his teachings might sound, you bow and you bend to them and watch your life, your family, your church, your community, your state, your world be changed. But you're not going to find any of that at the altar of some fake Jesus. You find the real Jesus, firstly, I think, in his teaching, and then secondly, I would say this, you find him in his example. And that's a big ballooning topic. I get it. Let me just point you to the finest, to the zenith moment of his example, the sacrifice on the cross. There, there's no other religion out there. There's no other fake Jesus who says, no, 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 I will take your place on the cross. There's precisely one Jesus who does that. Jesus the Christ Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Son of God. He is found and revealed perfectly right here in this word. So don't mess with it. Don't try to censor it. Don't try to save Jesus from Jesus. Just let Jesus be Jesus. And then follow him in his example. Follow him in his generosity. Follow him in his sacrifice. Follow him in his obedience to the Father. Follow him wherever he goes, and your life will be changed. None of these fake Jesuses and the thousands of others we could talk about can offer you this satisfaction of the soul. So grab hold of this Jesus, look him in the eye, and declare your allegiance to him and follow him. Starting now, if you never have, follow him from this day forward to your very last. Everybody got it? Say, got it? Let me pray for you, church. Father God, we, uh, we're so grateful for you um, because you are the gift giver who gave Jesus. And so, Lord, we um, just want to appropriately express our gratitude to you right now. Because, Lord, I know only you can hear every, every soul and every heart in here right now. But, Lord God, we're just your people going to take a moment. The people who know you, the people who know the real Jesus, those lives who've been saved by the atoning sacrifice of the real Christ on the harsh cross, we know. So we're just going to say thank you, God, right now. And Lord, we want to continue our gratitude by just saying thank you for allowing us to walk with you. 
to experience your goodness, to experience your grace, your mercy, your power, your authority in our lives. Oh, Lord God, I pray now as Pastor Otis is going to come that you would use him to just speak to the soul here this morning who, who's never trusted in you, who's never bent to you, who's never obeyed you. God, that you would whisper so unmistakably in your perfect voice and you would call, Father, by the power of your spirit, sinners to your son Jesus, sinners to life, to purpose, and to eternity. This is our prayer. We have no other name in which to pray it but the name of Jesus. And so that is the name that we say now to you, Father. The name of your Son, Jesus. And the church of Jesus says, Amen.